This is episode 239. In a world where men are losing their manliness and that being strong, powerful and aggressive is basically a social crime for people to be offended by, the deeply sad part of that is that everyday men are living lives of silent desperation, of feeling not good enough, feeling like failures, living in bodies they're really unhappy with, despite maybe never having said that out loud. They've got low energy, gut problems, diabetes, migraines, skin issues, and a totally absent natural erection. As a teenager, you feel like you're on top of the world and you're unstoppable. And we're taught that this is a phase and as life goes on, you're meant to get quieter and just get a little more pathetic. But what if I told you that was totally wrong and that the modern food system, drinking water and culture is leading to men having such heavily suppressed testosterone levels that it means they lack the ability to be men, to step into their masculinity. And the flow-on effect of that leads to damaged relationships, really poor life decisions, and ultimately depression, facing the reality of a deeply unfulfilled life. And well, we're no strangers to the very high male suicide rate in the Western world. If you're a man or you have men in your house, then I'd consider listening to this episode because we talk about how low testosterone is an epidemic and the damage that has on your health, relationships, and society as a whole. We talk about what lowers testosterone and how to get it back up where it should be, which is going to fire up your sex life, bring back some youthful confidence, and provide a lot more fulfillment to your daily life. I genuinely think masculinity needs saving, and I think the contents of this podcast are an important piece of that puzzle. So, let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome back to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast, where this year in 2023, It's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And one of the interesting factors that I see recur time after time with the clients that I work with in the emotional eating and relationship with food space is that often their partner at home is a man, their husband, and said man is half of the reason they don't succeed with their own health, be it because hubby loves his meat pies or refuses to change or thinks that health and wellness is like you know, voodoo medicine, despite themselves carrying around an extra 30 or 40 kilos or 100 pounds and bleeding every time he takes a shit, which goes for about 18 minutes longer than it should. You should never have enough time in the toilet to read a newspaper. Statistically speaking, there are significant problems going on with a lot of men that they are either in denial of because it's too embarrassing to speak about or that they don't even know that is actually happening in their body at all and assume that it's just a consequence of getting old and that this is life kind of thinking. And by the way, I'm talking physical health and mental health, as well as relationships in his life. So that's why I've got my man Lucas on the show today to talk to us about how we can support men to be better for themselves, their kids, their wives, their careers, and whoever else benefits. So I want you to meet my amigo from here in Melbourne, Lucas Owen. He is a naturopath, but is better known as Australia's leading biohacker with over seven years of experience researching and experimenting with nootropics and performance-enhancing compounds. Having been the youngest ever person on the Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast, he's extremely motivated to discover something big for science that can benefit millions of people globally. He's big on the socials as well, Instagram, podcast, and YouTube, where he delivers cutting-edge health content ranging from nutrition, hormone, and nootropic research that 99.9% of us, including me, have actually never heard of. 
And I can absolutely attest to that because Lucas is an absolute wizard when it comes to complex biochemistry and how to solve stuff that other people can't. So Lucas, my man, welcome to the show. What's going on? Maddie, it's great to be here. I feel like we're sharing the same Wi-Fi bandwidth. We're that close. <laughs> <laughs> we are. I know. It's it's kind of refreshing to be able to do uh, a podcast in the same time zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm stoked to be here and I'm looking forward to chatting about, yeah, optimizing men's health and um, yeah, great to connect again. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody listening too, Lucas was actually on the show on episode 59, which was like almost 200 episodes ago now, when we actually did it in real life in a studio back in the day, pre-pandemic. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that goes back a while. I actually remember that very clearly. And I remember even back then, Maddie, you were so, so professional and so well-spoken and it's just amazing to see your growth as well. So you've done, you've done such an amazing job. Oh, thanks, brother. I appreciate that. And I feel the same about you. Like, you know, whether we don't talk for a while and just sort of see each other on social media, like I'm definitely inspired by the work you, you do. So I'm glad we've made some time to hang out together <laughs> and um, share some amazing conversation with people. Yeah, for sure. On that note, so the interesting thing about you is that I first found you and probably many people did in your earlier years of this work as the uh, the guy that basically ices his balls and tells guys <laughs> to ice their balls. So I'm wondering, and by the way, that's not a euphemism. That's exactly what I mean. Ice on testicles. And so how did that story begin, man? You know, it's so funny. I was talking about that that saying the other day. There's um, knees over toes guy. Yeah. And now my my nickname is ice over balls guy. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> how appropriate. No one will forget that. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess I'm the I am the guy that popularized icing the testicles to boost testosterone and and support male fertility. Um, and I remember reading about it a number of years ago. It would have been over three years ago, and I was researching ways to improve fertility and testosterone production in men, and what are some strategies that they can incorporate. And basically, I came across one research paper that looked at um, nocturnal scrotal cooling. Mm -hmm. as an intervention to enhance sperm count, sperm motility, sperm viability. And I was like, oh, you know, there's some pretty robust evidence here. Like what else is there? And then I came across some more, more research indicating, you know, the testes are outside the male body for a reason. They need to be kept cooler than the core body temperature. And anytime the testes are two degrees too warm, that can actually lead to um, an impairment it completely arrests spermatogenesis. So I was like, maybe there's something to this. Like maybe there's something to this icing protocol or cooling protocol. And that's when I, you know, so dove deep and grabbed an ice pack from the freezer and started icing my own testes every night before bed, like 10 to 15 minutes. And by the way, for those listening in, we're not actually applying ice directly to the skin. We're not trying to burn your ball sack here. <laughs> um, we're, we're, icing, we're applying the ice pack to the underwear or some sort of layer in between for 10 to 15 minutes. And I remember doing blood work before and after, and I did see an increase in my total testosterone. And then I started recommending it to another, a number of other men. And they all started reporting all these benefits such as increased energy, better erection quality, better morning wood. Um, and even one couple came back to me and said that, you know, she's now pregnant. So wow. clearly it, it uh, actually works. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's so great. And I mean, we're in a world, and this is going to play into the whole conversation we have today, but we're in a world where sperm counts are going through the floor. So many more people are having to go to IVF and figure out like, why can't we, you know, do this the natural way? 
And a lot of it's got to do with, yeah, sperm that isn't motile enough or that isn't in, a, in enough abundance um, or that's damaged or broken. And I think as well in the fertility conversation, a lot of the onus is put on the woman. And so if, if, if pregnancy isn't happening, it's like, oh, it's the woman's fault. It's the woman, it's the egg, it's her inability to carry. But that male sperm and the DNA within that absolutely has a, a contribution effect to, you know, whether or not it survives. Absolutely. And that's, um, that's something I think a number of couples just completely forget about. Um, and unfortunately, we are seeing a pretty steady decline in the sperm count. There's like an estimation that in like 35 years from now, all men in the Western world will be infertile. Um, so in how many years? Only 30? Like 35 years. That's wow. an estimation based upon yeah, the current wow. trends, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrifying. Like, and when has this, statistically speaking and historically speaking, when did we see this decline for men in their sperm counts, like, and and their and thus you know testosterone as well? When did that kind of begin? Oh, geez, it's probably at least in the last fifty to seventy-five years. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a gradual decline, and I think there's a number of factors that are contributing here. I think obviously obesity being number one, um, like just you know poor metabolic flexibility. Um, number two would be like environmental toxins and, um, you know, BPA, plastics, heavy metals, other toxins in our environment. Um, we just see research papers now looking at like they deliberately, and I feel sorry for the male rats, by the way, in some of these studies, but they, (laughs) (laughs) they literally will like inject these male rats with like plastic or they'll, um, feed them a, a water that has like toxins in them. And then they, evaluate how it affects like um the Leydig cell products like Leydig cell function and testosterone production um and then what they do is they throw in an antioxidant like vitamin C or vitamin E or coenzyme Q10 or taurine and then what they do is they just basically assess the degree in which these antioxidants can block the damaging effects of like BPA plastics and heavy metals so um Whilst we're whilst our environment is getting dirtier in a sense, and like you know, there's um, what's it called? Some sort of pollution. It's like um, dirty, like you know, in, invisible pollution, like EMFs and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, whilst whilst our environment's getting dirtier, I think men just need to prioritize like getting their supplement stack down pat. Um, are really prioritizing good nutrition as well to really support and block these damaging um, factors. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it comes down to that sort of, you know, that therapeutic approach of like, we can add supplements, which is obviously fantastic and medicines and different types of things on the front end. But if we don't actually circumvent the contributors to low testosterone on the back end, then we're really just polishing a turd. <laughs> and, and, you know, we don't get too far, too far doing that. And there's just so many sort of uh, things in our environment that have an anti-testosterone effect on the body and like like I think the easiest one is literally getting a filter in your house for water for your tap water because there's so many chemicals and different things in the water that simply just lower testosterone. Oh, that's a good that's a really good point. I mean, I was thinking of like um developing a post the other day like top 5 ways to lower testosterone. <laughs> the first one would be obviously like drinking tap water um because mm-hmm. that's obviously what I call chemical soup. Um, so it's just yeah. full of things that are not beneficial for the human body. And yeah, basically installing like a, or using a water filter. I mean, there's different degrees and qualities, different ones you can get. I use like things like a Waters Co water filter. It's, um, yeah. it's pretty good, but, um, 
yeah, definitely starting with like input. So like modifying things that come into the body and even what goes on the body as well. So don't underestimate the impact of skincare, um, deodorants, things like that. You know, many deodorants out there now contain so many weird ingredients and like just nasty chemicals that interestingly, I mean, this is for those who study pharmacology and understand pharmacokinetic, uh, pharmacodynamics and things like that, they'll quickly begin to realize that actually under the armpits is a very good way to, for like drug uptake and uh, chemical absorption. There's many things that can actually be absorbed under the armpits. Um, so I think like, yeah, try not to underestimate the impact of skincare as well on um, fertility and testosterone production. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge one for, for women because of the amount of makeup that they put on their skin, right? And and mm. the other thing is for the ingredients, like the, the rules and regulations around what you have to put on the bottle of deodorants and perfumes and that type of thing is very limited. And you'll see see things like fragrance as an ingredient, which is just, you know, marketing jargon for a heap of chemicals we don't want to tell you about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a definitely a big point. Um so obviously like skincare, even, I mean, I'm, I'm not really a big fan on fluoride as far as like fluoride consumption, um, fluoride, brushing your teeth with fluoride and even fluoride in our waters, um, that can also play a role in damaging sperm. Um, but even, yeah, outside the scope of like skincare, like deodorants, uh, shampoos, conditioners, that's another one is even um, certain hair loss drugs like medications by big pharma or what mm-hmm. I, I usually like to refer to refer to them as big harmer. Um, <laughs> P is silent. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty ironic because my dad's a pharmacist by the way. So everyone listening <laughs> in like, yeah, my dad's a pharmacist and I worked in the pharmacy. I was the vitamin specialist, um, you know, but then I decided to go down the path of naturopathy. But um, uh, yeah, I think just just being really cautious with what we expose our bodies to, not only what we eat, but also what we apply to the body. And then those hair loss medications, which are can be oral, like just tablets like finasteride or dutasteride and things like that. Um, we're seeing a huge epidemic in men, like particularly young men between the ages of 20 to 35, complaining of really nasty side effects associated with these oral hair loss medications, which are essentially designed to block the conversion of testosterone into DHT. And if we look at the repercussions associated with lowering systemic blood levels of DHT, you know, we're going to be seeing massive issues with um, mood, libido, well-being, mental health, anxiety. Um, and there's a whole and there's an entire website now dedicated to um, post-finasteride syndrome or wow. PFS where there's a number of guys that are they took the medication, let's say for maybe a year, and then they stopped, but then they, all, they still suffer from side effects even months after stopping um, wow. the medication. Yeah, You know what that reminds me of as you're talking about that? That reminds me of um, like sort of the, the hormonal or stimulant um, – reductions that happen months after women come off birth control, right? Because we're having a testosterone conversation geared towards men, but testosterone is equally important for women and their sex drive and their mood and that type Mm. of thing. And there's so many like consequences of taking some of these drugs um, that happen so much further after the drug consumption has stopped. 
And correct me mm. if I'm wrong, but if we're up, if we're improving testosterone production, shouldn't hair growth happen as a part of that? Well, the testosterone, I mean, bodily hair growth increases from more DHT and testosterone, but um, they do believe that DHT, which is a metabolite of testosterone, has mm. a a negative effect on like hair growth, like actual head hair growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but in saying that, I truly think that there are actually other, there are other hormones that also play a role. For example, um, prolactin, which is a uh, commonly associated with bre- uh, you know breast milk production and um, lactation. Females like lactating. Um, prolactin in men is also associated with poor hair quality, and um, also cortisol. When cortisol levels are elevated, which totally makes sense. I mean, under stress. Yeah that's going to affect hair growth. And then there's other pathways that are playing a role as well, such as inflammatory mediators. I think one that's really critical is simply a nutrient deficiency, which I'm sure you've, you've seen time and time again with yeah. some of your clients um, in, you know, for women, stuff like that. Um, iron deficiency, B12 deficiency, you know, B vitamin deficiency, they can all affect hair quality as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and when you said prolactin there, I've seen, um, uh, that associated a lot with the idea of the dad bod and that the yeah. prolactin yeah. contributes towards the dad bod and the dad bod's kind of a normal thing. And it's like we're normalizing this, uh, you know, idea of it's okay to be in this low testosterone prolactin state, which kind of creates a body that's a bit like a woman's. And I'm like, why are we normalizing this? <laughs> exactly. That's actually a really good point is the, um, yeah, gynecomastia or man boobs, which is heavily dependent upon um, prolactin levels and we see prolactin levels go up actually mm-hmm. after they have a like have a baby so like yeah the dad bod it's actually a, it's an adaptive response by the body I'm not exact I think it's like to prevent further reproduction um some sort of evolutionarily designed system in the body doesn't make sense to me but um so you don't have too many kids too soon so you're not overwhelmed <laughs> with caring <laughs> yeah yeah i can't have too many cousins yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that that makes me think as well talking on the side of um like testosterone reduction that naturally occurs in our environment is and talking about man boobs and all of that stuff sort of combined it just makes me think of the overwhelmingly high estrogen consumption that men have through their environment, lifestyle, and diet. Can you talk a bit to that? That's a good point. I mean, the uh, if we look at the second way, like the first way we said to lower testosterone is to drink tap water. Mm-hmm. Second obvious way is to go and get pissed and drunk on the weekend with alcohol. Um, the reason I say that is in particular beer. Um, so beer is highly estrogenic, um, contains like usually made out of hops and that's like, full of phytoestrogens and that can by itself lead to an increase in prolactin and suppress testosterone production. Um, so I definitely think, yeah, in our environment, particularly as men, like they need to be really careful with what they choose to drink. Now, there is a stat. I mean, there's a, it's a fact now, and Andrew Huberman's spoken about alcohol consumption, that it is true that no amount of alcohol is safe for human consumption. But then you've got the whole the other side of the argument where it's like, well, maybe one or two glasses a week is okay. You know, moderate consumption is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's red wine, if it's high quality, good quality red wine and they don't have like histamine issues, 
I don't really see it being extremely problematic long-term, like maybe one or two glasses a week, but that's a week and that's yeah. not much at all. You know. Yeah, you're not you're not putting your liver under considerable pressure to to do all the detoxification on a daily basis, and it's got plenty of recovery time, and it's not too overwhelmed. And, and that's the other thing. Like I've I've you know had these kind of conversations when I did work in the hospital about the idea of detox, and because you know a lot of medical doctors look at the idea of the wellness industry and detoxes as like blah blah blah, you know. And I, I said you know what, 150, 200, 500 years ago, I would agree with you. But the reality is that we are so heavily exposed to toxins in everything now that we end up with a backlog of of these toxins in our system that end up in body fat. And so whilst, yeah, our liver is designed to detox and we've got a bunch of organs that facilitate that detox, there's just so much more we're exposed to in the air, in the water, in the food, and the food every single day seems to get further away from actual real fruit food and it's more chemical-based and synthetic Mm. estrogen or phytoestrogen mimicking molecules and that type of thing. And so yeah, I think I totally agree with you that, it, yeah, like one or two a week, the liver's probably doing its job, but it's also got a heap of other shit to worry about. Yeah. And also on that, Maddie, it's a good point you bring up around um, detoxification, like um, sauna usage, yeah. which is, um, it's a hot topic, no pun intended, but I guess um, <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it comes to like sauna usage, um, well, we just spoke about before like an intervention, which is icing the balls to optimize testosterone. Well, mm-hmm. The equal and opposite holds true with heat exposure to the testes. And if you're a guy looking to optimize your hormones and you care about fertility, then jumping in a sauna, heating up your ball sack two to three times a week is not going to do you any favors in terms of fertility. In fact, it's actually going to be highly problematic and it can actually significantly affect um, sperm count. And in fact, heat like heat therapy tradition, like a long time ago, obviously thousands of years ago, used to actually be a male contraceptive, like a form of male contraception. So one thing to note, if you're going to be using the sauna, any guys listening in, you need to, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to be that awkward guy to bring an ice pack into the sauna with you. You're going to have to ice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Well, it makes sense though, like because the whole reason that the testes are on the outside of the body is that they shouldn't be at body temperature. Otherwise, yeah, we get damaged uh, sperm and and reduction in sperm production and quality. So it makes total Mm -hmm. sense that if you're sitting in a 80-degree sauna, you're just creating the same problem. Yeah, yeah. And so like as far as... As far as all the other benefits, I mean, there's going to be a number of people listening in being like, well, what about all the other benefits associated with sauna usage, such as massive reductions in cardiovascular risks, a reduced risk of all-cause mortality, um, a reduced risk of type 2 diabetes. Like, I'm not not here to bash sauna usage. I'm just trying to warn guys if they do decide to use the sauna, make sure they bring an ice pack or they limit their usage to like – once or twice a week, they shouldn't be doing it every single day. Um, and if they do care about fertility, then they need to be taking active measures to ramp up their fertility through other means, such as supplementation and some other lifestyle hacks as well. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. 
If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, that's that's super useful. I'm, I'm also curious to talk to you about like the impact of this low T on people's mood, their sex drive, and just mm. like this sounds a bit fluffy, but that the way that men show up in their lives and the world. And the reason that I talk to that is because a lot of the people I work with are, are in that phase of their life. So it seems to be two groups, right? So at my age, it's all the people that got together super young are starting to have problems with, you know, we've grown in different directions and men that are, you know, in their 30s are starting to have no sex drive or not be motivated at all and uh, but hers is going in the opposite direction or, you know, 20 years on that kind of client group that I work with is the same thing is that, you know, hubby hasn't had a sex drive for a long time, isn't motivated to do anything, just kind of plods along this kind of, you know, quote unquote beta male sort of attitude to life and I'm curious after a lifetime of, you know, drinking tap water and doing all of the things that the Western diet includes, obviously we know now that, you know, heavily um, modifies testosterone production and reduces it. Like how does it impact the way that these men are showing up as men in the world? Well, this is my, this is my favorite question because this ultimately ultimately comes down to um, like, why, why would we even care about this issue in the first place? Like what are some of the greater societal implications associated with lower testosterone and you know what I, what I say it comes down to? A weaker workforce and also less productive society. Yeah. Men are going to struggle getting work done. They're going to struggle um, feeling resilient. And if they have minor setbacks at work, the guys that have high testosterone are the ones that are like, oh, you know, I'll cop it, but then I'll go, I'll go harder and I'll chase it harder and I'll work harder. And testosterone, as Dr. Andrew Huberman states, um, testosterone makes effort feel good. So think about that. If testosterone makes effort feel good, I mean, this would explain, and this this could explain a number of reasons why, you know, you see certain professional athletes, a lot of those high-profile athletes like LeBron James and some really powerful, you know, sports sportsmen actually have very high natural testosterone levels. And, you know, is this giving them a competitive advantage? You know, maybe I think so. You know, it's possible. Um, but I think the, the ultimate question that you ask is, how does testosterone affect the way a man shows up in society and the way that he perceives his environment around him? Um, so to really look at this, to really look at this and, and dive deeper, there's a neurotransmitter known as dopamine and dopamine is incredibly important for 
motivation, um, chasing a goal, and seeking out reward. Now, testosterone is directly correlated with dopamine levels. So the higher the testosterone, the higher the dopamine. And what testosterone actually does is it makes it makes dopamine more efficient at binding to its receptors in, in the brain. So basically what that means is that testosterone not only makes you physically stronger, like in the gym, but it also makes you mentally tougher and mentally more inclined to seek out a goal and actually strive towards achieving your goal. Um, and so this is very evident. I've seen this with a number of guys that I've worked with where their starting point was around 300 nanograms per deciliter of total testosterone. And we're able to get them to about 650, 700 nanograms per deciliter after about 12 weeks. Um, and you, I can see it in their demeanor, the way that they, it's almost like they've got this karma, this sense of calmness and also this sense of like assertiveness. Like they're not um, like very passive or like shy. They become more expressive, more confident, and they have the ability to sort of back themselves. That's like usually the the big things that I notice. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Like that it's because often, yeah, we just put it down to, you know, I'm old and I've just been, you know, this is just life. Life's meant to be this way. It's, and And I love that we can make these types of effects and I love that we can do it with lifestyle medicine and food and making different choices and that we get people that feel more confident because I think that directly relates to the quality of life experience one has because if they feel calmer and more stable and more confident in their decisions then they're going to have more fulfillment in the decisions that they make um, and in the goals that they strive for because one of the, the issues that we see in the modern world men and women alike is the you know the inability to achieve goals because life's just too much. It's overwhelming and it's hard to make decisions and it's hard to decipher. And a lot of us would put that down to, oh, it's just mindset and it's my belief systems. And it's like, well, actually that mind and those belief systems are physically fueled by the hormones and the blood and the enzymes and all of the things that run through the brain and run through the ideas that you have. And so I love this sort of interface point between you know, the, the, the sort of mind and the body, if that makes sense. Yeah, this is exactly, this is neurophysiobiology. Like it's, we're looking at pathways where um, we're, we're lucky. We're at, a point in, we're, a point, we're at a point in history where now we can understand, oh, this is what testosterone does in the brain. This is what estrogen does in a male brain, which by the way, estrogen, when we're speaking about like um, sex drive and libido, for example, um, estrogen is actually the one of the most important hormones to actually facilitate libido and sexual functioning in men. Um, this would be quite confusing, but and maybe not so relevant to your listeners, but like there are a number of like athletes and bodybuilders that will deliberately take medications to lower their estrogen. They're called aromatase inhibitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the major side effects associated with aromatase inhibitors is the reduction in estrogen and the reduction in estrogen results in like almost absent libido and sexual functioning. Um, so I think when we're looking at like uh, like triggering and, and stimulating sexual desire and erection performance and facilitating erections, um, total testosterone is absolutely paramount. Um, we need to have that on the higher end of the reference range. Mm-hmm. But also prolactin needs to be low. Estrogen needs to be moderate to high. 
And then there's all these other hormones that play a role, such as thyroid hormones, um, cortisol, like um, different pathways, like nutrient deficiencies, zinc deficiency, things like that. Um, so I think what we really need to understand, and for those listening in, is that it's the complete orchestra. It's not a. It's not just about the one hormone. It's about the the balance and the ratios between all the other hormones. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, super sort of basic question, but where should people listening begin? Like, because we've got men listening, but we've also got wives. You know, it's kind of like um, the strategy for Viagra for selling Viagra <laughs> is that it's sold to women because men are too embarrassed to talk about this, right? So for the men listening, what should we say? And for the wives that need to communicate or the partners that need to communicate to their partner, what should we, where should we start? Well, I mean, that's a really good point, Maddie. It's like, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I set up my YouTube channel, completely free content. You, um, they can just search boost your biology. Um, I've got so many great like introductory videos there where they can just binge and learn about the basics around hormones. There are, there are some videos that are like very complicated and really technical on different things. But I think like at least having a foundational level of learning through video content, pretty good for some guys. Um, eventually one day I'd love to set up my own, you know, workshops and seminars for the, for, for, for men that are at that real beginner stage. Um, BYO your own, your own, uh, ice pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or we could supply ice packs upon entry. We we could do that, or the or the the bouncer could supply the ice upon entry. <laughs> I hope the bouncer's really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, it's definitely um, resources are, are useful. Um, yeah, I've also I've, I mean I've developed like a, a free testosterone optimization webinar as well, which is somewhere on my website. I don't even know where it is now, but um, yeah, there's there's plenty of great resources out there. Um, so I'd say like if we're if we're looking at like just the very bottom of it, and we're looking at like what can a guy do to really just support his testosterone levels naturally, like what can he do without drugs? What can he do without injections or peptides or things like that? it comes back to just being super healthy across all areas. So getting good quality sleep, seven to nine hours per night. So very deep sleep, um, not being in a severe caloric deficit, which I know you see a lot of that when it comes to like the female athlete triad or loss of yep. periods, things like that. Um, not being so, and also um, the macronutrients. So really important to note here is that being on a very low fat diet is not good for hormones, particularly for testosterone. Um, being on a very very high carbohydrate diet is not going to be beneficial. It's actually just simply more of a balanced diet, which is literally like you could get away with just a thirty, like a forty percent protein, thirty percent carbs, thirty percent fat split. Um, you know, and we're looking at high quality fats here. We're looking at olive oil, avocado, coconut oil, ghee, butter, um, macadamia nuts, Brazil nuts. Like these are like your go-to fats from a protein perspective. We're looking at animal, mostly animal, animal based, um, products, you know, meat, organ meats in particular, are probably the most beneficial types of meats to consume for testosterone production due to their very, high bioavailable nutrient density. Um, and then carbohydrates, I usually like to sprinkle them in depending upon 
a guy's level of activity status. So it depends on, you know, how many days a week is he working out? Does he have footy training? Is he going to the gym every day? Like, and that, that can sometimes be as high as 400 to 500 grams of carbs per day, depending upon the, the athlete. Um, so yeah, really that's like, like foundational areas for men is just to optimize being healthy. Yeah. And I was going to say for everybody listening at home and, and anybody that hasn't seen you before, Lucas uh, is a very shredded and attractive individual <laughs> and he boasts online that he can eat loads of carbs and stay in shape. So it's totally <laughs> possible. <laughs> if you're watching the video, you can clearly see that Lucas is tanned and looks amazing and I'm just like as white as paper. So this guy knows what's going on. <laughs> oh, geez. Thanks, Maddie. I mean, I think it's... um. I think it's the uh, the treadmill desk that keeps me super lean. That's that was the best investment at the start of lockdown was um getting myself a treadmill desk and doing fifteen to twenty thousand steps on that a day, um particularly after meals. Like mm-hmm. that was, well, I did that for twelve weeks and I looked at my physique and I was like, what the? I've literally dropped so much. I just I've lost body fat significantly mm-hmm. and um yeah, that's definitely. But I do obviously. <laughs> I do train ridiculously hard. I mean, I'm I'm able to eat almost like a pig to a degree sometimes, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't hold back on my favorite olive bread and um, butter on bread and beautiful like pasta, marinara, things like lasagna. Like I don't hold back in, in any of those. I enjoy all of those foods, um, but I I guess like I train really hard. Like yeah, really hard. By the way, I train like an absolute monster. <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably something we should touch on, like in regards to physical activity, because yeah. so many of these dudes are sitting at their desk, they're heating their balls up because they're sitting in leather chairs, right? They're overweight, they're snacking all through the day because they're, you know, they're stuck at a desk and their only exercise is like getting to and from the printer type thing so what should fellas be prioritizing in regards to movement are we talking resistance training are we talking cardio does it matter i would say buy a printer that breaks down more often so that they have to (laughs) good Uh, um i would say i mean exercise and physical activity is extremely important um but the type of activity is even more important so what I mean by that is the duration and the intensity of that exercise. So we know for sure that um, lower duration, about 20 to 30 minutes of very high intensity um, interval training, whether that be sprinting or a spin class or um, or the rowing machine like the ergo rower, um, Low, like short duration, high intensity efforts like that have a very beneficial effect on testosterone production. In general, that has a very positive effect on hormonal output. Whereas if we look at longer duration activities, so looking at um, steady state cardio, for example, if we're doing um, cardio for let's say 45 minutes, low low intensity, that can lead to an increase in cortisol and a reduction in testosterone as well. Yeah, right. That, that makes sense to me. What, what, what I was thinking as you were mentioning the cortisol there, what is the relationship between, because obviously going to the gym is, is a stressful event, although we call it a hormetic stress, so it's a good stress. 
But how do we manage the difference in stress in the context of having an, a super stressful life, having kids, having a relationship that maybe isn't super happy or fulfilling, a job that you hate, and then going to the gym and adding more stress? Like, what, what, what do, what's your recommendation in that kind of stress world of cortisol and adrenaline? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, obviously, we know that um, testosterone and cortisol, generally speaking, have a bit of an inverse relationship. So I think the critical point here is for men to um, make sure that if they're engaging in high-intensity efforts, like let's say they're doing a, a, um, a set of like, I don't know, six squats and some deadlifts and some heavy weight training um, not doing that back to back is key. Like you, we need, there are, we need to emphasize the importance and particularly for, for men that are natty, natty just means that they're, um, not taking steroids or, or testosterone or they're yeah. not using any performance enhancing drugs. Also um, referred to as Maddie cause I'm not doing any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, like those individuals, they need to make sure that they also prioritize rest days now, when I say rest days, I don't mean go back on the couch and just keep eating your chocolate and biscuits. I mean, like rest days as in, well, maybe you just hit 10,000 steps as your rest day. Like it doesn't, you still always need to be keeping active. Um, a little bit of activity is beneficial. And this is more so from like a metabolic health standpoint. Um, but if we look at like the wrong form of exercise to be doing, it's the 60-minute like 50 to 60 minute, 15 kilometer runs at a very low intensity, that is not beneficial for hormonal health because that will, it's just too stressful for the body. And it's also not engaging large muscle groups and it's not creating a, a strong enough stimulus for the body to then respond by releasing the hormones basically. Yeah. So you fellas that are into... Um marathon running, ultras and that kind of thing. It's obviously, as you just said, not ideal possibly, but should maybe they get a lot out of that mentally from a dop dopamine serotonin kind of perspective. So should they just sprinkle through resistance training through the week? That's spot on. Yeah. I mean, I, I say that exact same thing to a number of men is like if they enjoy because there is a unique distinctive feeling from aerobic training and i'm sure you probably get it as well Matty. Like oh yeah for that's run. why i've gone back to playing footy man like it's yeah, yeah that just super fast rapid movement and intensity and um you know body on body contact it's like there's something primal in there that's just like yeah. i feel like it spikes my testosterone <laughs> yeah 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 and then also the um like the bdnf increase that you get from like um more steady state cardio sort of stuff and even things like that can actually be, yeah, I noticed the mental clarity benefits from cardio much stronger than doing weights training. Like I just don't get that um, distinctive like um, mental clarity from doing weights. Um, yeah, I but I do same. feel, yeah, but I think you're right. You need to sprinkle in. I think if we look at like the perfect scenario, mm -hmm. this is what the perfect scenario looks like. It'll be, three days a week of um, heavy weight training sessions and then maybe twice a week of like some sort of cardiovascular activity and then maybe one and then one day a week of just complete rest uh, and then, you know, maybe one day a week of some, some sort of recreational sport. I reckon that would be like the perfect balance. Yeah. Out of curiosity, 
Because obviously in this world of instant gratification, everybody wants their shit sorted yesterday. Um, what's a realistic expectation for the amount of time that it should take to get at least back to baseline for most guys? Like obviously it's going to depend on the severity of their health situation, but in your sort of clinical experience, is it something that could be sorted in weeks, months, years? Yeah, so as in to recover, you mean to gain, regain their youthful like yep. youthful hormones. Yeah. Um, it, it really depends upon, um, so it depends upon their level of like their current lifestyle. Like for example, if somebody's living a really poor lifestyle, smoking, drinking, eating fast food, minimal activity, and then all of a sudden they do a complete 180 or, you know, they're able to flip everything on its head and they're able to be like really focused and really disciplined. <clears throat> I mean, we could, it wouldn't surprise me that if after, 12 to 16 weeks um, that his testosterone levels could potentially double. It's not unrealistic because if his baseline levels are so affected and he's sitting around 200, 300, it's not unrealistic to see that double. Mm -hmm. um, there was a guy that, uh, that joined my like limitless men's energy program and he's 51 years old and I couldn't believe how impressive his testosterone levels were after incorporating like just all the different biohacks and all the different things like icing his balls, taking a bunch of herbs and supplements that I was prescribing, like he ended up getting his total testosterone to like higher than mine. It was like Whoa. when the, yeah, when the, what's it called? When the, the, um, the, the, the apprentice becomes the master. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm done. See you later. See you later. You can, you can take over now. Nice job, man. You've, you might be just, a good. You might just, be a good uh, health coach to employ. <laughs> yeah, potentially. He's 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 pretty dialed in. He knows. He's just really committed, and I can tell it's the guys that are like meticulous. It's the guys that are really careful. The ones that like actually care, and they're like set it as a top priority. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that see massive bang for buck in terms yeah. of like transformation. Yeah, man, I love that, dude. We've got to have a few more conversations because obviously we could just bloody talk forever. But where can everybody yeah. find you on the interwebs? Um, so check out my YouTube channel. <clears throat> That's um, Boost Your Biology. Go and subscribe over there. Um, and then they can also check out my website. Um, That's ergogenic.health, um, which will be rebranding to Boost Your Biology. Um, but yeah, they can check out my stuff there. There's so much free content on my YouTube channel. Um, and I've also got my own podcast as well. Um, that's Boost Your Biology. Awesome. I'll put all of those links down in the show notes below for everybody. And if you have enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, share it into your social media, tag us both because all of our links will be down in the show notes. Um, and if you feel like there's somebody in your life that needs to hear this conversation, uh, send this episode to them and send it with love so they don't get pissed off that you're telling them what to do. <laughs> Blame Lucas and me for this conversation. Uh -huh. um, but uh, yeah, spread it, spread it out to people that need it basically. And so um, I really appreciate you being here, Lucas. I'm glad we've made this happen and I'm keen to, keen to do more in the future. But to part ways with the audience right now, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Oh, geez. I mean, I'd say <clears throat> number one would be self-awareness, developing a high level of self-awareness. I mean, that, that, that by itself can be transformative. I mean, you would see it with behavioral change, emotional eating, things like that. Um, for me, I think that's like, probably the biggest game changer in terms of improving health and well-being is like just building that level of self-awareness. And you can do that simply just by 
starting to track things. Like I know it sounds like you can become a little bit orthorexic, but um, tracking health parameters and health metrics is crucial because if you can't, what gets measured gets managed, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Self-awareness. I, I love that. It's the, it's the only place that you can take ownership from if you know what's going on. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate you being here, dude. And uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks, Maddie. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds good. See you, mate. See you, Maddie. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.